Thank you for listening to She's Got Drive this week. Today, we have an important episode with midwife Jenny Joseph and Mars Lord, doula and birth activist. We discuss maternal health and the black and brown community. My name is Shirley McAlpine and welcome to She's Got Drive. What happens to black and brown women as they enter the spaces, as they're meeting the systems on both sides in the UK and the US? What's actually going on? They're not being heard. They're not being seen. Right. They're not being listened to. They're being victimized. The reason this is happening is your fault. You're too black. You're too poor. You're too stupid. It's your fault that this is happening. Right. You're too fat. And you're too fat. Yeah. You're too predisposed to things. And yet, as I've been telling people a lot just recently, if black bodies are so poor at giving birth, why are we the global majority? Mars is an award-winning doula and birth activist who has been a birth keeper for well over a decade. After attending the Paramana doula course with Michelle Audin and Liliana Laumere, a spark was lit within her and the passion that she discovered for birth and supporting parents has fired her soul ever since. She has had the privilege of working with hundreds of families a birth activist with a desire to see the colouring in the landscape of birth and finding out the reasons for the maternal and neonatal morbidity rates amongst black and minority ethnic communities. She created Abuela Doulas, a doula preparation course primarily but not exclusively for women of colour. Her desire for reproductive justice has led to the creation of the Reproductive Justice Retreat and Mars has recently recognised um, by the Mayor of London's Hidden Credits campaign and continues to speak out for culturally safety, cultural safety and reproductive justice. So you're going to love Mars, I know. Um, and you're going to love this conversation um, between us, I know. So let me just remind you of who Jenny Joseph is. You know, if, you've, if you're a regular listener, you've um, met Jenny, but let me just remind you, Jenny Joseph is one of the most well-known and respected midwives and advocates worldwide for family-centered healthcare. She's widely accepted as a hero in birthing circles because of the positive outcomes that she has seen through her simple yet profoundly successful model of prenatal care known as the JJ Way. Jenny is a British-trained midwife who moved to the United States in 1989 and has worked as an independent midwife in Florida since then. The JJ Way is a midwifery model of care that simplifies prenatal care, removing barriers to care in a medical system which is known for having many hoops to jump through. The four and and there are four cornerstones to her program that has literally led to saving mothers and babies lives in her practice through her work so I know you're gonna um, get so much from this conversation and really it's just like unusually there's three Brits having a conversation two of us living stateside and Mars living in London and and um, but all inside of a commitment for change and transformation in the birth space I give you Mars and Jenny Welcome, Jenny. Welcome, Mars. Thank you for being a guest on She's Got Drive. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be here. You both have been so inspirational to me as I've tracked the work that you've been doing and the important work and just like, of course, you're phenomenal women as well. So yeah, I'm excited about our conversation. Um, Who wants to go first to just sharing like a little bit about yourself and how you got to do what you do? 
Okay, I'll be the shy one. I'll go first. (laughs) (laughs) When I introduce myself to people, I tell them that I'm Mars like the planet, not the chocolate. Well, I'm not like the chocolate. I'm not that sweet. And particularly (laughs) when you consider the work that I do, I haven't got time for that kind of sweetness. So I'm a birth activist. I'm a doula. I train doulas, you know. And for years, I've been talking about the black maternal health Mm -hmm. crises. It can't be anything other than a crisis. We recently had groundbreaking, short though it was, a TV documentary, a primetime TV, prime channel in the UK just a month ago called The Black Maternity Scandal. And so many people were up in arms. Oh, my God, how can you call it a scandal? It's not a scandal. It's like black women are dying at disproportionate rates to their white counterparts. So I'm thinking it's a scandal. Yeah. So the work that I do in educating doulas is making sure that black and brown people have got someone that represents them in the birthing space, someone that looks like them. Too many times the the white doulas would say, well, it's it's not a black issue, it's a woman issue, but it's not a woman issue solely. It's not a birthing person issue solely because that extra layer of black makes all the difference. And if it was a woman issue only, then black women wouldn't be dying at five times the rate of white women. So I trained doulas, black and brown doulas predominantly so that they can work within their communities and of course let's face it if you're black and you're working in your community everybody white wants to work with you anyway so (laughs) it's not as if there's a a sort of narrowing of the market for any of them and with the white women that come and train with me they go into their work with an added level of cultural safety cultural humility and awareness of the issues that will come up that they wouldn't have naturally seen with these clients, you know. So when a black or brown client says to one of my white doulas, this is what happened, they won't automatically shut the conversation down. So that's what I do. So I train those. And when it comes to reproductive justice, I talk to anyone that will listen. I'll talk to the ones that won't listen. I'm just (laughs) there having the conversation. Recently, I've been speaking to MPs. MPs are, are ministers of parliament. So now my name is a matter of public record in the UK government stating the things that I believe. I talk to midwifery universities. I talk at midwifery conferences. Mm-hmm. I've spoken gold learning. So a global conference about these issues. And for me, it's more than just talking about the issues. It's about finding action points because anyone can talk and everyone does talk and all of right. these people get all of these plaudits for talking, but they talk with no thought towards action. Like what, what we actually going to do. That's yeah. Gonna and no, yeah. they don't even ask the question. They just say, we want change. It's like, okay, tell us how you want change. So I find that my work as a birth activist is about not only starting and continuing the conversation but looking for action points as well Mm. so that's that's me and that's what I do and you know for those that are like but tell us something personal Mars Um, (laughs) I'm a a mother to five and I'm a nonna to two one biological and one completely and totally co-opted because I love his mama and I love her baby so that's me Jenny what about you well um, I'm a midwife activist and I've been a midwife 
this month I'll be 40 years since I graduated as a midwife. Wow. But what's interesting is I didn't know I was a midwife activist until I got to the States. You know, I was happy doing my midwifery the way I had been trained to do my midwifery. I was unusual in that I was trained as a direct entry midwife. I was never a nurse back in the early days when it was, oh, well, let's pilot this project and see how it works out. Let's put some non-nurses in a hospital environment and train them to be midwives. So I was one of the first midwives that was ever trained in England, not a nurse, but hospital based. Mm -hmm. And I graduated as a class of one in 1981. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So not many people know that about me. But wow. anyway, with that training, I continued on in midwifery until I moved to the States in 1989. And I was always very keen to work in the district as a community midwife out with folk. I like to be in that environment more than I like to be in the hospital. But, you know, midwifery to me was my heart's desire. That's all I ever wanted to do. So I got to the States in 89. I was like, oh, let me go get a job. I'm here. They have babies. I'm going to get hired right away. And it turned into a big old circus. First of all, it was like, no, we don't even know what you're talking about. Um, no, we don't do that. You must be mm. crazy. Um, you know, go and be a nurse. Go away. It's taken me the 31 years that I've been here to move through all of those cycles that that put me through on a personal level, mm -hmm. but also on just recognizing that my midwifery had to become activism. At this point, I consider my midwifery justice work. It's not even mm. about the physiological, let me help you through the processes of pregnancy, mm. birth and postpartum. I do that anyway. That's my nature. That's, that's in my DNA, obviously 40 years, right? Yeah. But the, without the other part, I don't think I would have arrived where I am at this stage of my life, where I am driven with the activism. I am absolutely, I mean, what you said, Mars, really hit home. You know, it's about the action. Mm -hmm. I can't just sit with, well, I've got my best midwifery skills here. Let me check your baby and measure your blood pressure and off you go. Can't do that. Why? Because in my face and in everybody's face, everybody who lives in this experience of the American so-called way of life, is a dire risk, especially if they're of color, and most especially if they are black or Native American, that they may not survive the process of just giving life, yes. which is outrageous. I mean, even to say it doesn't mm. make any sense. How do the two things go together? In this, the richest, most resourced, most powerful nation right. in the entire world ever. Like, come on. So I now cannot, you know, create any separation between my basic midwifery me and my midwifery activist me. And mm. I've been very much in action since I got here and, you know, feeling close to the pinnacle of where I was trying to go, which was to create pathways for other people to be in action, mm -hmm. whether it's through midwifery or whether it's through just general community activism around maternal child health, perinatal health, as they call it. I'm about transforming this maternity system because it is wretched and it's an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's really interesting because whilst on the, in the UK where you've got a health system which people have access to healthcare and they don't have the barriers to access to healthcare that you have in the US, the results are still egregious to say the least, right? Mm -hmm. Black and brown women are having similar experiences on both sides of the Atlantic, even though we have different healthcare systems. So one would say, yes. what's the source of the issue? Because it's not, as you said, it's not a women's issue. 
Although women have got atrocious results in the US anyhow. And we I black mean, and we women. So, right, you know. Exactly. So it's like, what is it really? Mm-hmm. And so I think. It's racism. What is it? It's racism. It's classism. It's yeah. sexism. Right. Yeah. It's right. power. Yeah. Right. It's and human rights violations. Spaces. So then what happens to us as we go into those spaces, into the spaces as they're meeting the systems on both sides in the UK and the US? What's, the, what's actually going on? They're not being heard. They're not being seen. Right. They're not being listened to. They're being told. That, in fact, they're being victimized. The reason this is happening is your fault. You're too black, you're too poor, you're too stupid. It's your fault that this is happening. Right. You're too fat. And you're too fat, yeah. You're too predisposed to things. And yet, as I've been telling people a lot just recently, if black bodies are so poor at giving birth, why are we the global majority? Mm. First, I want to give a shout out and send lots of love to all my listeners who have supported me with growing the show and the way to grow the show is to share the show if you could think about someone in your life who you believe would benefit from listening to the amazing women who I get to interview and the tools and approaches that I share with you on She's Got Drive that would help them transform their lives, then please find that person in your contacts and share an episode of She's Got Drive with them today. The other thing that I would love you to do is if you head over to iTunes and if you could rate and review the show, this is critical to having us grow the show and expand the She's Got Drive platform. Thank you so much. And let's get back to the interview. Well, and I think, Mars, to just piggyback on that comment, we have to really think about, yes, it is a systemic issue. We see it inside of the systems, mm-hmm. but it's actually a societal. So mm. the question really is not so much of what happens to us inside of the system. Mm-hmm. It's just what happens to us. Yeah. General. Period. Like, has we arrived? Right, who it just in our whole what? experience of life, right? Being Black and the intersections of being Black yeah because we've got to keep those intersectionals inside of this picture right they all impact and add layers right but Mm -hmm. then it still comes down to the bigger deeper question which is what is it about our societies that condone and continue this behavior Mm. with impunity yeah i mean it's a complete and total anti-blackness you know i mean people say well why are there so many predispositions and it's exactly what you're saying jenny it's the the fact that well until recently the mm-hmm. safest place for you to be was in your bed at home and now not even that place is safe anymore because from the moment you turn on the radio or a tv or you leave your house the microaggressions that's just the microaggressions start right. we won't even look at the macroaggressions that go on continually and are condoned in the name of civilized society mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. one of the um a lovely doctor over here lovely black doctor over here dr karen joash was talking about how within her hospital they were testing uh people's as it sympathetic systems mm-hmm. wanted to see what was going on with them so they all had to fill in questionnaires and do all sorts of things and she you know she filled hers in and she went about her business because she's generally 
an incredibly happy, positive person. So she wasn't expecting anything back from her results other than, you know, you're just a normal person. There's nothing going on. She got a call from the hospital telling her she needed to come in immediately because the levels of cortisol, the levels of stress within her system were so high, they felt they needed to do something about it. And this isn't even a woman who's, you know, going on marches and getting angry and doing all of those things. Right. She does her work. She does her activism. Don't get me wrong. But she said, I see myself as this happy-go-lucky somebody. Right. So just the art of existing in a black body yeah. in the societies that we live in has, of course, we're predisposed. It's not that we're... We're not predisposed because that's the way our bodies were born. We're predisposed because that's what society, that's what, you know, being in the West has done to us. That's the conditions that we live in. Because it's because the, the experience, I think the other thing is people, we underestimate the, just the kind of um, stress that um, giving birth does on the body, you know, like the additional, um, because it's, seen as such a beautiful experience let's just say that for most people like a happy like happy beautiful experience quote unquote mm -hmm. we don't we underestimate what it demands of the body mm -hmm. you know and how we if i think about just my own learnings with my pregnancies and with my with my when i miscarried the questions that it raised me about how i operated when i was pregnant do you know what i mean just like carrying on as business as usual yeah. with all that I'm holding and really it's not business as usual and then I think about the stress that we get when we hear about another murder another killing another this another that when we are carrying our children in our bodies and then we are seeing how the world receives our kids and so it's just like we can't underestimate what that does and then the well, fear yeah. that comes up as we are carrying our babies and that we're holding as well. So I feel like we perhaps don't spend enough time. And if the, the systems don't acknowledge any of That's that, uh -huh. then they act like you're coming in and they're treating like anything you have to share or say is not even, there's not even held inside of that context at all. There's no as well as we know about the discrimination and the biases that exist inside of healthcare systems and the expectations around black and brown people and their, how they deal with um, pain and so on that we've come through. There's been lots of research on that. When you look at the way, like you described your doctor colleague, the Mars and her mm -hmm. response, there's a piece that's also, I think worth sort of delving into a little bit, which is the, impact of how we learn to cope the resilience that's you know very trendy to talk about as well the resilience mm, there right. the resilience factor or raising resilient children all that kind of stuff we've got work on that now but what we've I think we've discovered along the way and because it was through the, the maternity um, side of things because you're talking about when the baby's you know when the pregnancy's in place already when the mother's experiencing these things we've already got something deeply embedded ways of being that are harmful mm -hmm. but mm. when you're not pregnant you have that too so yeah. you know there was a lot of work in the united states um a couple of decades ago now which began to talk about the life course 
-hmm. and the fact that it's a weathering along the life course yeah that has this you know assault on the ability to manage something like a pregnancy it's not just Mm -hmm. pregnancy because of course other systems succumb right the blood pressure the the heart the cancer all of these things so physiologically what we've got is a burden if you will of one either reacting to microaggressions and acknowledging them or two stuffing and not three thinking we found a way to cope even though clearly physiologically once she had her testing it was revealed no you're not coping at all Mm -hmm. but being able to fool yourself that you are so that you can keep coping. So right. as we unpack all of these different layers, including what we now know about ACEs, adverse childhood events, and you know how that impacts physiologically again down the road. If your family, if your mother divorced, you get divorced, mothers get divorced, the kid might have diabetes later in life or obesity or drug addiction. All of these, we get mm-hmm. some little element of the understanding in a scientific mm-hmm. way, but we will never ever get to that depth of understanding and i'm saying all this because i feel like we it should encompass all of it as opposed to we pick and choose these pieces but it's all of it and i also say that because i know my experience and i only found this out because i came to the states and because i had to work in the environments i was working in the difference in even a short-term application of human compassionate support as well as an underlying I'm just going to say speaking stuff into existence, mm-hmm. like positively, you know, affirming and and supporting in a way that's different but congruent to health and well-being. Even that has the opposite effect and can actually be protective. So I'm talking about when we would take women and people from environments and situations, same people essentially who would populate the statistics that we're talking about today. Yeah. And have no other intervention that we could apply. Like we couldn't take their blood pressure better or dip their urine faster or with more accuracy, right? But Mm. what we were able to apply was all we had, which was, let's listen. Let's Mm. be with you. Let's not judge you. Let's stand down a minute. Let's not re-traumatize your trauma by adding layers of crap to what's already wretched. And in doing that, voila physiologically that cervix holds tight what the same cervix that's supposed to burst forth at 28 weeks because of who Mm. you are and how you're treated Mm. suddenly holds the same birth weight these children that we see over 20 years worth of seeing the same thing chunky full-term babies breastfeeding mothers resilient people on the other side of the childbirth experience even Mm -hmm. in the same hospital environments as their counterparts yeah outcomes that changed that quick and that vastly based on oh let's do at least for the short term while we have access to you something different Mm -hmm. which proved to be protective the flip side of this is acknowledging how i'm just going to keep using the word condone because i don't have a better word how as a society we condone the opposite of what I've just described as normal. Yeah. And we also perpetuate it with policy. We perpetuate it with politics. We perpetuate it with what we have going on right now, racial divide. We perpetuate it with classism. We have given ourselves all kinds of ways to be this miserable and nasty and allow ourselves to continue on with that as okay. Mm. 
And that's where it becomes, oh, this isn't about midwifery at all. This isn't about doula work. This isn't even about any of that. This is deep stuff. I wanted to take a moment to share with you my gratitude journal, which is 30 days of gratitude, making every day count. It's a reflective gratitude journal for women. It's aimed to enrich your life as you go through the next 30 days. And the quotes and pieces of wisdom on each page are there to enjoy and to speak to you each and every day. The practice of gratitude is there. The aim of this journal is to help you to develop. This is a daily practice of focusing on things in your life that you appreciate. The simple process of writing down three things that you are grateful for every morning allows you to start your day in a positive place. When you start a practice of gratitude, it can have such a profound effect on your mental, emotional and physical well-being as well as an increase in the happiness in your life. The practice of gratitude has been scientifically proven to improve our sleep, our relationships, our sense of self, and our mental well-being. And also in the journal, there's a practice of daily setting daily intentions. When we set daily intentions, it can support you with setting a pathway for each day. Setting your intention will give you focus, setting you on the right direction for the day, And with daily intentions, you are more likely to take the action and have the state of being that matches your intention, leaving you with a feeling of greater satisfaction with, with you achieving what you want in your day. The power of intention is a focused mind. So the 30 Days of Gratitude, Making Every Day Count, is available on Amazon.com on the She's Dot Drive Journals page. The link is in the show notes. So click the link. It's like $6, something like that. And then take on a daily practice. You will see that I've already started to post my daily practice on my Instagram page. So you can do it together. So order your 30 days of gratitude, making every day count. Um, And let's see what positive effect it can have in your day. When people say to me, so, you know, Mars, with all the work you're doing, you know, do you do you hold out hope? And I says, well, within the work that I'm doing, maybe there's some hope, but within the society that I'm in, there's nobody in the, in society, or there are few within society who are wanting to make those changes, who are wanting to do those things that you're talking about, Jenny, because people are really happy to hold on to their anti-blackness, really happy to hold mm-hmm. on to their classes, and really happy to hold on to their privilege and their me, and that it's about me. You know, I mean, today, I heard of a woman that's a white woman who's afraid to publish something that she's written under her name because she thinks the birth world will ex- won't accept it because she's talking about trans issues. And it's like, oh, the privilege to be able to hold that back and say, do you know what? Maybe I won't put this, I won't put this out there. You know, right. I mean, what, what hope for the the black midwives that want to talk about black and brown issues right Right. i find it fascinating that if you feel so strongly about something you want to write about it but you don't want to put your you don't want to attach your name about it because you can't stand with what your let's just say the crap you're about to put out in the world yeah and then doesn't that beggar the question how strongly do you feel about it? Right, is right. It, is it right. this month's flavor? Is it this year's action? And you know, is, because is oh, okay, we've done that now. Right. It's time to move on. We need there's oh, there's something else going on over there. So I'm going to go and do that now. Yeah. Or the other thing is, it's like, is what you're about to put out going to cause harm? And are you okay with that? Yeah. So 
but I don't want I don't want you to hold me to account for the crap I'm about to put out. So let me put it under some pseudonym so you can't find me. Yeah. Um, okay. I have what? a I, I there's a uh, sort of a doula over here who has been slowly white doula has been slowly getting herself to the top of all kinds of institutions and organizations and things. And I told one of these organizations that I wasn't going to work with them anymore because this woman had been so racially abusive to me, the way she had behaved towards me. But, and they said, Oh no, she doesn't like to talk about anything in the past. So we can continue to work with her because she doesn't like to talk about anything that's in the past. So, well, I'm happy to talk about it. And um, let me tell you about it. And then they said, oh, yeah, right. OK, yeah, we're not going to change anything. And I said, well, that's fine. But what you've changed is I'm not walking with you and I'm not stupid. I know the power of my name in the UK. I know the power of my name across the globe now. I know the power of my name in the right. UK and they are not happy that I am not standing with them right because i'm not standing with a group of people who would rather protect the i don't want to talk about the past of a white woman who's caused black women harm than stand with the black woman right who's done harm and then have the cheek to put her in charge of that these are the sorts of things that we're looking at to do for inclusion so it beggars the question is it are people wanting to change and wanting to change societally and within themselves? Or is it just that this is the new thing to talk about just now? Exactly. You know, they want so to be seen to be changing, but not really is the difference. The fact that you, it's just like, I don't want to talk about things in the past. It's just like, um, honey, I don't want to talk about things in the past, but if I've done you harm, yeah, if you're not willing to talk about things in the past, you're not committed to the future, as far as I'm concerned. You can't yeah. pretend like that didn't yeah. happen, and that if and the woman who was the cause of that is standing in front of you. So I just it doesn't that I think you're spot on to walk away from the BS because. I haven't got time what? for that shit. Black women are dying. Exactly. You know, and like, like Jenny, right. it's like, oh man, I'm tired, but I, th this isn't something I can stop because black women are dying. Literally. And as long as I can work and speak it out, now, don't get me wrong, I am good at taking time out and getting some, some, some quiet in the space, but this isn't something I can stop. I've got five children. Three of those are girls. You know, they may decide to have children. Mm -hmm. In fact, one already has. Two two sons, they may decide to have children. Right. I've seen how black men are treated in the, the labor room, you know, and the aggressions that go on towards those men, the gaslighting, the wow. bullying that goes on to those yeah, men. Yeah, we can't even in the wow, labor in the labor room. Yes. But you know, but I have, you know, when when Jenny was talking about this is all this societal stuff. The only time my children were safe was once I got them home from the hospital and even then they weren't completely safe. I had a midwife come to my house when I was breastfeeding. My twins told me there's no way I could be breastfeeding twins and I needed to do other things to feed my Listen, babies. Man, I cannot tell you the pressure to, what do they call it, supplement mm. 
the mm. breastfeeding that I had to the point no, you see, I would just lie. I mean, I have to say that's what I did. I just started lying to her. You're nicer okay. than me because I, I put her at my house. I supplement. Yeah, I did. I did supplement. Oh, she's he's gaining weight. Yes, he is. And yeah. it's like, no, I wasn't supplementing. You know what I was doing? I was, I was. Well, if you were putting him back to your breast, then you're supplementing the first feed with the next feed. With the next one. You know, and what people have done is they've taken the word supplement to mean artificial milk. Yeah. When actually, if they're worried that the baby isn't getting enough milk, they say to you, okay, how do we help you to feed your baby some more so that your baby gets some extra milk? But you see, so the only time my children were safe was when I took them home into my house. But... Then my children had to go into the schools where my children were no longer safe. Then my children became teenagers walking down the street. One son is stopped and searched. I mean, I just give thanks that we don't have guns the way you all have guns in the States. But my son was stopped and searched and sworn at by policemen for daring to say that in his school uniform, what he was carrying in his PE bag, his physical education bag, was his rugby kit, you know? And then they grow and then they meet partners. And then as they walk down the street, he moved up uh, to Liverpool. And within days of being in Liverpool, he's up against the wall by a policeman. And it's only when he opened his mouth and his London accent came out, they told him to fuck off, if, off you go. You're not who we want. So. Wow. Society keeps doing this. So by the time my daughters, by the time my sons, if they have female partners, that they come to give birth, they've lived with that every day. So the body, yeah. let's remember it's really important not to be stressed in pregnancy. Go and do some yoga. Go and plant vegetables. Go and be in yoga. All of that nonsense. That my children don't don't get the opportunity to do, even when they do the yoga, even when they do the Pilates, even when they go to church, even when they plant the vegetables. But all of those aggressions that happen in between. So the safest moment of my children's life was in that first couple of years when they were at home with me and I was able to tell people to back off. It's all right. I know how I'm feeding my babies. Yeah. No, my baby doesn't need to do that because he's just being a baby. What do, what do we do? That When I see how close we are, though, frankly, sometimes I think in the UK, we're just, particularly with our health service, well, with so many things, we're just trying to ape the badness that you've all got across the pond. You know, it's like, is it any wonder that we that we've got this crisis, that we've got this scandal? Yeah. Because as I keep telling them, if it were white women dying at these rates, there would be laws passed, there yeah. would be things done, there would be, there would be changes. But our children, there's a tolerance to... for it, isn't there? Just like well, there's that, a tolerance that... for mm-hmm. the. <laughs> let's just say there's a there's an acceptance that that's just the way things are, or that's mm-hmm. happening to that community. And they're just not really no urgency for change. They just well, you just need a band aid, right? Yeah, because this is one of the things I've been like you know, saying recently is, let's still look at the the Johnson and Johnson vaccine as an example, right? Where they had six blood clots and they shut it down. Six blood clots and they shut it down, and they're like, oh no, we need to look into this. Mm. 
they did what they did. I don't know the extent of the look into, I don't know what they did, but that's just like a commitment, like, oh no, we're not continuing because there were six black clots. I'm sorry, how many, how many black women have died? Well, no one's shutting know, anything down. No one's like doing a complete review. No one's really saying like, what are we doing that's going to be different? What are we taking out? that's causing harm what do we need to do to facilitate and hold and i think one of the things that jenny you've talked about is really some of the changes we're talking about it's not dramatic in terms of the systems and processes it's like the care the consideration the compassion the listening which is totally missing yeah and it's now that, and it's and that is scandalous that it's missing. Well, that's what like, I'm going to, that cause? to go, go back to. It's, it's free. See, exactly. So I was going to go back when you said, and Mars, you know, I know I say the same thing, and I know mm. many in this space say the crisis, right? We talk about the crisis. And in a way, yes, it is critical. But I think the scandal is perhaps the better framing. And mm. um, I haven't seen that adopted out here yet in, in the States. It may not be, but. I'm interested to move that language forward and I'll tell you why. Mm. The crisis allows to be it to be, oh, well, it's another little thing that we can play with fixing or not, or make a whole mm -hmm. bunch of money while we're practicing. But, oh my God, it's a crisis. And that gives you an opportunity then to be like, well, we'll have a go, we'll have a stab, we'll have a try. Mm. The scandal is what, you know, it's much clearer because... This is not a crisis in that this has been happening for decades, if not mm -hmm. centuries, yeah. right? From enslavement on through for black people in America, this is reality and mm -hmm. has always been at this level. The only protective factors have been the midwives and healers mm -hmm. who had autonomy and in, they had an ability to do their work unimpeded because it was financially valuable mm. for the enslavers to have stock essentially yeah. right yeah. so wherever we see that there was some protective factor inside of this overarching um, agreement which is where the condoning comes back in and the tolerating comes back in right mm. the mm. overarching agreement was and still is these are not same level human beings therefore yeah. Inside of that, our ability to find ways where there was no way to create our own structures and our own ways of managing things, we've managed to pass down, for example, midwifery skills mm -hmm. um, empirically. We've managed to pass down, you know, traditional ways of being. We've managed to support each other the ways we knew or have found that have been conducive. Imagine mm. living through Jim Crow. Jeez. Right. Imagine you talk about the police violence now, but think about lynching. Think about, you know, everything has historically had its foundation in what we are living and experiencing now anyway. Mm. So the crisis part, I take exception sometimes to that language because it's not new. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, but a different iteration. The right. scandal. Yes. The scandal of it continuing is the scandal. That's it right there. Mm -hmm. And the protective parts that come from such things as doula work or midwifery work or lactation support or whatever, that is coming from us recognizing that, acknowledging that there's a problem in the first place and allowing that the folk that are suffering recognize mm -hmm. 
or are supported to understand it's not their fault. They did not yeah. cause this. Yes. Taking the blame away yeah. is protective. Yeah. I get most of my work done by allowing the first interaction I have with people who come to my clinics to be, you're okay now. Don't worry. Yeah. You literally can share this burden. You do not have to do it on your own. You don't have to yeah. fix this problem that you didn't create. You no longer have to be out there in the wilderness trying to solve your own problem. Yeah. So in acknowledging that, no, we are not going to traumatize you further. We are, in other words, going to accept and acknowledge that you have been traumatized and that you didn't have anywhere else where you were safe. So Mars, like you're referring to, you have, you found safety in your home. You created safety in your home. We are not able, it seems, because we've lost these skills as a society yeah. to create safety. That's why I call my, where we have these kinds of areas of whether it's clinical or support, we call them perinatal safe spots mm -hmm. mm. because that's where the safety is. Just identify where in your locale there's a safe spot and get there. That's it. Yeah. That's all you need to do. You don't need to be on a diet. You don't need to get a better insurance card. You don't need to do 10,000 hoops. You don't need to interview five OBs to see if somebody's going to treat you right. You need to get to the perinatal safe spot real fast. Mm. So then you can get some skills and support to create your own safety wherever it may be. Mm. But you're coming at this problem from another angle where there's a smaller amount of power, true, but at least there's some power. Yeah. Because everywhere yeah. else there is none. Yeah. Well, it's, is there the, any well it's, about, it's, a, it's disempowering, isn't it? In the other spaces, it's about stripping what notions of power women and people have when they show up to their various health practitioners, right? Mm. Because those microaggressions are the things that strip away any what's left, you know, when someone shows up and then they just mm. like have a question or have a thought uh, and they, and they, they're not, in, they're not able to trust their own bodies. They're not encouraged to trust their own bodies or what they're feeling they're experiencing. They encouraged to question what they well uh, you know let's listen to the message that we're told all the time that our bodies aren't right our bodies aren't good enough our bodies aren't our bodies aren't if we only did but we don't do if we and so we internalize that message because that message is shown to us everywhere that message is spoken to us everywhere that message is given to us everywhere and i actually really like um Arlene Geronimus is labeling it of weathering. Weathering. Because actually, when you explain weathering to people, I feel that they understand that much better than the than when you say microaggression. Yeah. Because when you say microaggression, all they hear is aggression. And when they hear aggression, then they get defensive because I dare you say that I'm doing this. It's like, no, it's a micro. It, oh, okay. But when you explain well, weathering. Explain, explain weathering. So people who are listening. So, yeah. When I talk to my clients, when I talk to universities and things over here, I explain it quite simply. You take, there's the cliff and the waves uh, are hitting the cliff. So this is me just bringing Arlene Geronimus's, Professor Geronimus's stuff down into like two or three sentences. As the waves crash against the face of the cliff, little bits of earth get displaced, stones drop, little holes and craters are caused. And then eventually erosion happens bigger erosion you start to see bigger dents bigger holes and then before you know it bits of the cliff start falling down into the sea right. it doesn't happen like oh i just got hit by a wave and then right the cliff falls down 
but the constant hitting of the waves, the constant hitting of the waves, whatever the weather, if it's a stormy day, then the, the waves are stronger. If it's a calm day, then the, the waves are gentler. But it's just that continual eroding of the face. And so it's always happening. I mean, I think one always of happening. that I love constant. about that, it's like it's, it's just, there's never a day where it's not happening. It's not just the days when, when we see the publicised murders. Right. It's not just right. the days when we see someone being chased down the street by police, being manhandled and brutalised by a teacher or anything. It's also those days when you're just minding your business and you're sitting on a park bench and the sun is shining down and someone drops a little comment as they walk by. Yeah. Or give you a funny look. or So what happened in the UK was not hilarious at all. When the, the murder of George Floyd was shown over here in the UK, suddenly white people were throwing themselves across the road in the middle of a pandemic to tell me hello. By the September, they'd gone back to holding their bags really close to them and looking at me suspiciously if I even looked in their direction. This is a good day. We've got good September weather. I'm walking down the street right. and I'm smiling at these people who for the last few months have been falling over themselves to show the world that, that they speak to black people. And I'm smiling and all of a sudden I'm holding my purse close to me because you look like you might take it. Mm. Oh, I'm frightened by seeing you. Oh, you've just told me something that I don't like. So now I'm going to cry and be upset because you're bullying me because I asked you a question and you had the nerve to, to tell me what it. you thought. I mean, yeah, you had the nerve to actually answer the question that you that you that you posed. You know, it really. I think that really resonates the weathering because it also is. We don't always notice how much is being chipped. We don't always notice how much the impact that it's having on us. Until well, you've got you've got the British, you've got the phrase, the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm, exactly. It wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. The straw was just the last, the last tiny wee little weight exactly. on top of all of the weight. This is why. So, Jenny, you spoke earlier about black resilience, how we learn to cope, and. Oh, my mind is going off in so many tangents now for, for when I'm speaking to people. But you talk about this resilience, how we learn to cope. Well, we knew that we had to stay quiet because if we didn't stay quiet, then Massa would beat us or steal our children or rape us or do all of these things. So we learned to stay silent. Because we learned to stay silent, they were able to do more. And because they were able to do more, they were able to say that we were strong. And so now we bring this forward. We bring this intergenerational trauma exactly. forward. And we look at one, just be strong. Shh, don't cry. Don't make him see. Don't feel. Don't be as, you know, my coach said to me, we're, we're no longer allowed to be human beings. We can only be human doings. We've got to carry this load. We've got to mm -hmm. stay silent. We've got to keep walking. We've got to find out for ourselves why we are dying. Nobody else needs to do anything. We just keep going, 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 going. And then we have this whole movement. We need to bust the myth of the strong black woman. So, yeah, so we stop saying strong, but we're not talking about what it is to break the myth of the right. strong black woman. It's not the phrase. I have days when I'm strong and I'm strong in my tears and I'm strong without my tears. Mm -hmm. It's not the phrase strong. It's the inability for whatever reason 
to hand some of it over to somebody else mm -hmm. so that they can help you. You know, my mum raised us. My mum taught us. It's important to stay strong. Just keep going. Mm -hmm. Don't let them see. Don't let them know. Don't let them see. Don't let them know. And then we get to a place where we sit and within our own communities, we can't talk to one another about this scandal. We can't talk to one another about what it is because we got to be quiet. We got to be, you know, you can't talk about sex. You can't talk about pain. You can't talk about birth. You can't talk about it. You just have to keep going so that your, your head doesn't go too high above the wall. You know, and then we look at one another and say, wow, isn't it amazing that that one's succeeding when all of us should be succeeding and thriving? But yeah. we can't because we collude unwillingly for most of us, unknowingly for most of us. Mm -hmm. But we collude with the, you ain't good enough. You need to be quiet. You need to be strong. You need to be silent. You need to not be seen and you definitely shouldn't be heard. That's powerful. What you've just distinguished there and how deep that is. Why do you think we've got cardiac issues? Why do you think we have hypertension? Right. Are there, there are some times when I just have to take the week off of the work that I'm doing because my heart, I can feel it beating so hard yeah. in my chest. Yeah. And I'm not doing anything other than what I always do. And sometimes I have to say, okay, we, we just can't be talking to people for the next couple of days because my heart needs space to just beat within my chest. You know, and that that um, what you're speaking about as well, that kind of the silence and the um, carrying that burden is like people are carrying that into work. They're carrying it as they walk down the street. They're carrying it in their families. Our children carry it to school. It, our children are carrying it to school. Our babies. I feel like I and I feel like I've tuned and as a mother, I've tuned in more to my mother. And all I look, but it makes me want to cry when I think about like the burden that she carried. Mm. And then the thing and so is, we, it's really, it is really, I think that you know, to speak to the systemic, the family and broader systemic patterns that are also at play mm. in, in that as we and as we carry our own babies in our bodies and as we give birth and as the cycle like continues and how do you break the cycle because the environment isn't shifting right so you know the strong the that the holding is a response to the environment right mm -hmm. so the, it's not like the environment is shifting Jenny that's why your work is powerful and that's why the work that you you provide mm. Mars your support as a doula is powerful because you you're like creating a container for the women that you're serving. It's just like I am going to create this space for you where you can you can stop holding mm. and holding it all yourself. You I'm going to create this space and I'm going to allow you to just like trust this. You're safe here, mm. oh, and then your job is like fending off the BS, you know what I mean? Mm. It's coming her, her way or this coming her partner's way. And it's just like, and the difference that that 
that that makes. And as you said, we don't often like do enough of that reaching that allows us to like, fend, off, fend that off. Cause no one's fending that off. Imagine if we're walking down the street and someone drops that comment and someone else is like, ah, no, back up. Mm. And you need to apologize for that BS. And I don't have to do it. I don't have to carry it. I don't have to, but it is happening all the time. As you say, the comment, the side eye, the look, you walk into a store and they think, well, what have you, and the, the snarky comments, the whatever it is. And then you open up your social media and then someone's, there's something shit that's going on in, out in the world. And then you're carrying that. You're thinking, I, do, I wish I didn't open that up. I wish I didn't see it. But now you've seen it, you can't unsee it until you, and then you're about to walk into the next thing. And then you've got to pretend that none of that actually happened. The amount of stuff I don't watch, the amount of stuff I don't listen to, the amount of stuff I don't read. Right. You know, when they see us, you should see that, Mars. No, I don't no. need to see it. Yeah. No. I already, I already know that story. I'm totally with you on that. But Mars, you've got to watch it because. No. And did you see what they did to this? But I don't need to see it. Okay. And the reason I don't need to see it is because I live with it every single day. Right. So you one know? of the things we looked at was how, because of the folk that are in this space that are doing this kind of work, support work, especially around maternal health, we looked at the fact that we are so desperately needing support ourselves. Like there's many people in this field who are doing, you know, like this, strong woman, martyred work. Mm. This like, I will kill myself in the process. Um, you know, I'm absolutely clear. I'm guilty as charged as far as like, do the gargantuan ridiculous efforts mm -hmm. just to get that done because there's no other option. But also we realized we can't have that as models as, as a, something to aspire to, but we need the workforce. We need mm. to grow the support team, because mm. that is, like I said, the only protective factor that we have. So we've created these networks of safety for the birth workers, for the, you know, the workforce, the community-based workforce. Mm. And, you know, over the time of developing this, we looked at, I've really felt strongly drawn to what was the model that the grand midwives used, the granny, so-called granny midwives. What did the enslaved midwives do? All of the people who were holding space for women and keeping them safe, they had networks and mm. they didn't have social media, but they must have found a way to support each other mm -hmm. and to manage what they had. Because this load, you take on this load, which is double, triple, quadruple, your already lo load that you just have because you're already a black woman mm. or a black person or a person of color. So we've begun to see in growing these networks you know, now we're national, we have a national network, that one of the reasons we formed this, these networks was to do what we call collective care mm -hmm. and collective leadership and organizing, basically. That's where this justice works comes in because on this angle, we're trying to address this problem that we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. The end result will be healthier mothers, healthier babies, clearly, obviously. But the work is not at so much directed just to let's do the caretaking of the physiological processes, but rather if we strengthen and support the workforce from a perspective of 
collectively we're going together collectively we're leading you don't have to do it on your own just like we would speak to the pregnant mm. mama you don't have to be by you're supported we, we're sort of positing that question of what would it look like if we were able to do for ourselves and each other what we're doing for these families because this scandal continues and that mm. has become really a clear pathway towards at least some help it does relieve some of it it doesn't take it away because it's mm. just too strong it's way too mm. heavy mm. but it's the beginning again looking for what is a solution and being in action then you can be in action from a perspective of what are you doing to support the birth workers what are you doing to support your community doula what are you doing to support in that way so it's sort of a you know an indirect way to get mm. to the same better outcomes for mothers yeah. and babies but also the sustainability piece which is not currently there nor can it be because when you get too close to the flame like you say Mars you know how to pull back too many of us don't we just mm. keep going till we burn mm. right it's over and right. we keep perpetuating the cycles so I'm going to say for example in birth work majority of folk who are passionate and who are called will destroy their own family while they're running to save someone else's. Right. Mm. That these are the things that are so deep in how we are forced to operate. We have no other option. It's not like we've got some other choice, but while we're sort of trying to figure out how to go forward, I mean, this is generational work anyway, obviously. Yeah. How do we bring these younger ones forward who are willing, who want to get into the fray, who are standing there in the gap anyway, and create sustainability and safety for them as well where is that safety yeah. where is that same you know where's the home base how do we embed that so we look at this work from the perspective of its justice work like i said it's reproductive justice it's social yeah. justice yeah. it's birth justice maternal justice but on the flip side as we look at what's going on you know in with um, policing and, and all these other areas that affect the family as well, we're recognizing those intersections and calling them out at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because it's reproductive justice because mothers can't rest. Black mothers can't rest, period, ever. Yeah. Their children are unsafe. End of story. Mm -hmm. That is reproductive justice. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, we've taken on trying to look at both sides, being there, standing in the gap, supporting the families and moving through these phases of the life course and seeing mm. how the most productive and, and um, you know, the, way, the most efficient ways to get that safety and support around them at the same time, not neglecting the providers of that safe care. So Mm -hmm. I have this phrase I use that really, you know, overarchingly what I'm up to is trying to reintegrate trusted community embedded providers mm. back into communities at risk or at, of need, marginalized communities, communities mm. that are suffering under the structural and institutional and historical racism and classism sexism, the structural embedding into those communities of harm and countering it with the, um, the community embedded providers and supporters 
who have got us through every generation mm. of, at least in the United States, right. of what has become the scandal that we're talking about today. Mm. Can we stay with the theme um, around your caring for yourselves or caring like you said the collective caring because the we said the broader system is a harsh world in which to operate in the the mothers are relying on you as well and you are like and then you're kind of battling in terms of the broader conversation and standing up for what's right and true how are you ensuring your own sustainability in that? Because you've been in it for a long time. Mm. It doesn't look like you're going anywhere. And so how do you sustain yourself? What do you do? What do you yeah. individually? What do you, what do individually, you do? I am holding on with the hope and the prayer that the collective care and the collective leadership, the collective will be there long enough for me to be able to truly tap in for my own needs. I don't see me being able to do anything on my own. Mm. Honestly, I've been trying for 20 years. Yeah. I've got, I cannot anymore see that as a solution to finding once I find the way I'll go ahead and utilize the way and it all will be well. I am clear this cannot, I cannot survive this mm. without the collective. It's, it's just not possible for me at this point. And um, I think many of us are recognizing we have to tap in right now. Mm. That's all we've got. And so I, I'm clear that the work I'm doing is also towards my own liberation, if you will, because without that work, I don't have a hope. I don't know where I would find hope. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I know all the usual measures. That's why we named it collective care, for example, because self-care, oh yeah, that's great. Oh, go have a bubble bath, mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Collective care, no, you're accountable. They're gonna ask you, we're gonna meet. We meet weekly, monthly, however, and you better be able to say something useful mm. towards you. What you did for self-care, that's collective care, mm. right? So I'm depending on that as my, you know, hope to be able to get through this. Okay, that's great. So accountability and support. Mm, I mean, there isn't that there isn't another way, you know, I mean, where is it in the in the Old Testament where Moses, God tells Moses to do something and he can't, he's got to hold up his staff, but his arms are getting tired, so he can't hold up his staff. So two come beside him to hold up his arms so he can hold up his staff. Right. And, you know, and what Jenny's talking about, what I'm constantly looking for, who are the people, and I say to the doulas as I train them, who's going to hold up your arms yeah. so that you can stand? And then who's going to take the stuff and let you go lie down for a minute, you know? So whilst you're having to do this, who's caring for you? And I have to think of it for myself too. Oh, look at the picture. I have to think of it for myself too because... Someone asked, said, you know, this work that you're doing, what's it about? And I said, it's about legacy. It's not about the fame of Mars. It's not about the, the fact that my name is, you know, of public record in Parliament. It's about legacy. So I'm training doulas to do the work. 
to continue on the work. And as I train them as doulas, I'm training them as activists. I'm training them as reproductive justice warriors so that they can continue the work. I've stepped back from being a doula myself and only just going to sort of family now, you know, but because it needs a younger blood because the obstetric violence that I have seen and have continued to see, I need to step away from it. I need the ones that have got the hope and the enthusiasm to come forward and to do that. And whilst they're doing that, I'm there teaching them how to be truly resilient, not the hold it in and do for myself, but the truly resilient. I love what Jenny said about collective care because I've been speaking for a while about community care, mm-hmm. how true self-care is community care, right. how we have to look after one another so that the one that needs to rest can rest right. and practice self-care. But as a community, we look after we look after that. So I love that that's what Jenny's talking about, collective care, because that's how we build legacy. It's we go on each other's shoulders, not under each other's feet, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes you just need to sit down. And you just, just need to rest. It's you just need to, I mean, it, isn't it our lament when, when you talk to anyone involved in this kind of work, whether it's in maternity or anything else, they say we're tired. In fact, even I'm the people tired. that aren't in the work, Listen. we're tired. So that's what it's about. Working in race and equity leaderships that, 30 plus years and and if you're tired and you're and you're not someone that's working in those areas how much more exhausted are the ones who are working in that areas so i think it's important and i actually think that yeah that's a conversation that we need to be having more of that's a movement that we need to start you know i yeah i run or have run retreats where birth workers can just come and be you know, I mean, Jenny was so tired. Jenny called me up and said, I'm coming to England. I'm coming to hide at your retreat and I'm coming to rest at your retreat because that's what we need. We need spaces Jenny, where we can go and do, just be Listen, I, that's just birthed an idea right there. I would love to run a retreat. Look at me. I'm not even in it. I'm running it. I would no, love to run. You don't need to be in it. It's probably important yeah. that you're not in it. I'm it's gonna stop. I'd love to, Jenny. We got to. Well, organize. you saw the picture that was the showing. Yeah, that picture. And I mean, that was such a beautiful space. And the women at that were there. And Mars and you all blessed me with that picture. And as you were speaking about who's going to hold up your arms, I remember yeah. how you all you said that. You know, we yeah. And it, it's like. And that's one experience two years ago now, is it? Or yeah, three? two, three years ago. Three, yeah. Right. And that translated into transatlantic <laughs> support mm-hmm. from people I met over a course of a couple of days mm. who understood because they're in the same space, they're in the same place, they're in the same way. And there's an immediate healing Mm. from being in community like that Mm. Mm -hmm. from understanding each other's work and pain and and um you know all of it and trauma even and just yeah i have that on my wall i've had it on my wall since i got it 
I see it every day. For those that are listening and not seeing it, it's a picture of the beautiful black artist painted a picture with Jenny in the centre, Jenny's face in the centre, and all the women that were at that retreat, their faces painted all around her, you know? And and it was that, and it, and that was that was what I had hoped for, and that to see the the legacy of that, to see the way that as people heard about Jenny's work, realized the work they were doing was important, but realized that they needed to reach across to say, "Hey, Jenny, we're here. Mm-hmm. How can we hold you? Mm-hmm. You know." And that's what we're talking about when we talk about it's, uh, collective care. How do I hold you? How do we hold? And there's the the collective hold the the like a, a understanding. This is a global issue too. Like it's not. Yeah. I think we've been I've seen it on both sides mm. to different degrees. And I think the deg- I think, I think the degrees the are so so similar. But I think it just because we, we've got the we've got the same results at yeah, the I, end in different and that's what we said we've got to come to these are very different health systems with the same yes. results because but the same reasons is that yes exactly, the, the reasons yes. are common I think what I think is consistent is the people the women that I meet who are standing for what I, what I say is right and true for the rights of black and brown women and people giving birth is consistent. They're always amazing, inspiring warriors. I think warriors is exactly the word. And the wisdom of the people like yourselves who've been also been in, in, the, in there for years and years and years. And I think, you know, the ability to just pass it on like it's like you're in we're in a the truth is we're in a relay race i would love to think this is going to get transformed in my lifetime but i don't think so but i do think it's like what's my part in this journey you know i have supported the work around midwifery for 10 years in my work and that's because that's i it's like what what's the highest use of my skill in that area and Mm. that's like what i feel like i can bring and will continue to bring and you guys are just, you make me want to like cry because you're doing, you've done so much in the space. And there are women who are alive today and there are babies alive today because of you. And we don't even know the impact of just that. We don't know mm-hmm. the impact of the fact that that, did, that family didn't lose their mom, that family didn't lose their baby. And that's how, and this is, that's the scandal that we've speaking about. The there are families that's who, as a result of something that should be, that they get it's to take their right. baby home, they get to take, mama comes home with the baby, that is not happening. And it's not happening because mm-hmm. of, let's be real, the racism yeah, and the sexism and the classism that is existing in our mm-hmm. healthcare systems and I honor you both for the work that you've been doing and the work that you continue to do. And um, I know I'm coming up to the end of time for our time together. But The thought to take away, the, the, the thought to hold on to is the thought that Jenny gave us about collective care and black resilience. 
resilience. Not resilience in the false strength and the holding, but the just moving forward. But we get the resilience when we have the collective care. They go hand in hand, you know, so that people can, when they're tired, someone else can pick up and run for a while. And then when you're ready, you can get back up and run for a while. Because I have twin babies and it amazes me how my singleton babies, and I say babies, they're 17 now. My singleton babies could never get into childproof locks, but the twins could (laughs) because when one got tired, the other one started. (laughs) And when that one got tired, the first one started. And so they could break into anything. And that's what we need to be doing as I can't go now. Okay, you go. Right. Okay. I'll go again. That's just how life's have. I think I've been talking. I've been talking about. I used that analogy last week on the podcast. Was around. That's how birds operate. When one can't fly no more, then they they surround the bird that's tired, so that they can keep them in the in the flock in, in flight. Flock. Yeah. You have a flock bird in the flock, right? To keep them moving to help them. Right, and that's the collective leadership piece. It's they they yeah. go together, collective care, exactly. also collective leadership, being okay about yeah. helping someone else go up front without getting yeah. all caught up into territorial foolishness. To be able to recognize that you can bring out leadership in someone else, and yeah. it helps everybody. Yeah, you know. And so we've got a lot of decolonizing to do so as much. we go into the collective. And that's work as well. That's a different aspect of it. But I've got an amazing colleague here, Paola Rojas, who has helped me so tremendously. She's just an organizer in her spirit. That's who she is. She's also a midwife. But we wrote a report and she coined the name. She named the report, but we've taken it on as our sort of our mantle. And it's called Building a Movement to Birth a More Just and Loving World. Right. Mm. And that has been the housing for the work that we do on the provider side as part of movement building, as well as the work we do for the mothers, the mother baby, mother baby family, that that is, we must birth a more just and loving world Mm. because that is the only um, framework that will ever bring change in any other way. Otherwise we're going to be relegated to doing it this way, this hard way, fighting scandal after scandal, generation after generation. If we can't birth a more just and loving world, we're done for. And to do the birthing, we must move in a movement kind of way for the people who are doing that move, that revolution, if you will. They too need justice and love and support. And care. Well, thank you so much for this beautiful wonderful powerful conversation and for being on the show i love and on you both so much that's it i'm gonna just thank you thank you Shirley. thank you i hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life you heard that i love and respect both mars and jenny's work and their tireless commitment to something that is really hard to be with when we really get to the statistics and the outcomes and the experiences of black and brown women um, in the birthing process. So I, it's so hard because in the week where there's the debate 
as to whether America is racist because of the comments by Tim Scott. Weeks after there was the publication of a report in the UK claiming that institutional racism doesn't exist in the UK, like the desire to eradicate and pretend and gaslight that that is not the racism and institutional racism is not a thing. We know that there are so many examples daily that demonstrate the system of racism and its oppressive nature and the impact it has on so many aspects of our lives. And this is tragic and it is unconscionable and it has to change. So the work that Jenny and Miles are doing, as we said, to kind of do the work and then we're going to pass the baton on. You do the work as far as you can take it and then you allow for someone else to pick up the baton and 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 keep moving forward so i honor both of of them for the work that they're doing i hope that it's been informative for you if you weren't aware or that it really has elevated your commitment to to share about this crisis and contribute in any way that you can. The links to donate will be in the show notes if you want to make a donation to um, either of the organizations as well. I'll put the links to their pages and that are in the show notes so that you could contribute in any way that you can. Um, and I'd love to hear from you to see, like, what are you getting from this episode anything any insights that you got anything that you're taking away you know like how does it leaving you so please please share with me reach out to me um through instagram you can find me on instagram you can find me on the facebook page and you can also find me through my website shirleymccalpine.com forward slash contact me until next time thank you so much for listening go well and stay well